Hello and welcome to episode one of Repertory Screenings Season 3. This is a movie podcast on the Abnormal Mapping Network. I'm your host, M. With me is my regular co-host, Jackson. Hello. And my regular co-host, Destiny. Yo. Uh, we're doing a movie podcast again. Yay! It only took five years. I don't know how long it's been since Trash Ratio. <laughs> Three years exactly. It was twenty. It was about this time, twenty sixteen, that it okay. stopped. We we did it for a full two years. Uh, I guess we uh, no. It wasn't yep. two years, was it? It was twenty fourteen to twenty sixteen. I thought it was like fourteen episodes or something. No, it was longer than that. Are you sure? Uh, yes, apparently we are going to type in the middle of this episode <laughs> 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 uh, and start looking things up. It was. Let's let's see I, here. Go to the I board might, to find out. I might out. cut all of this out. So, <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine. It was twenty-two episodes. It okay. was. We You're right. two years. Two years ago, May fifteenth, yeah. twenty sixteen. Yeah, no, exactly. You were correct. I was wrong. Um, okay. Oh, twenty-three. I lied. I was. I read it wrong. Well, oh. there you go. Twenty-three episodes of a podcast. So we used to have a movie podcast. Obviously, it went 23 episodes. I didn't know. Uh, I thought it went like 12. So <laughs> There uh, we go. And uh, we always wanted to bring it back. Uh, if you listen to episode zero, you know that uh, this is a long time coming. We have a good plan to watch all the old movies that are fit to talk about. Uh, but I figured before we get into our first movie, which is Citizen Kane, of course, uh, we should talk about uh, who we are a bit. Uh, Jackson, do you want to introduce yourself first if this is people's first episode? Yeah, sure. Hello. Um, if you have never listened to any of our podcasts before, then I am Jackson. Uh, I am a non-binary person from the UK. That part's obvious, the UK part. Uh, and I have, I am the youngest one here. I am only 25. Um, and that means I'm kind of a little bit more new to things. Uh, I've done a couple, I've done a like degree in film, but that doesn't mean I've watched as much as anyone else here. <laughs> I was about to say, you <laughs> were the one nothing. who went to college for this. <laughs> means absolutely nothing. I've definitely watched less movies. Um, and so I'm here to watch more movies and expand uh, and talk about them a lot. Because I, I like movies, but then you go to school for them and then you really stop watching movies for a while when you do that. <laughs> you and Dan Reichert. Uh, but I'm free now. I'm free of school, so now I can watch way more movies again. It's great. Yeah. Uh, Destiny, would you like to introduce yourself? I'm Destiny. Uh, I'm a Capricorn with a Libra moon and a Gemini ascendant. Uh, Em and I have been romantically linked, according to the gossip (laughs) brands, for, what, six years? Yeah, about, almost. Cool. And then um, we, I was on the original, like, version of repertory screenings, and I was one of the old, uh, back-in-the-day po- uh, co-hosts of Abnormal Mapping. So, you've probably heard my voice before. Uh, I've done Goof Zone, Your Faves Would Never, Badland Girls, maybe somebody remembers Badland Girls, which is a podcast I did for five years with my friend Rhea. And uh, I've been a movie nerd since I was like 14 years old. Yeah, you've probably seen the most movies of any of us. Yes. I first saw Citizen Kane when I was like 15 or so. Yeah, I was much older than that. Yeah, I was a big nerd. But yeah, I'm really excited to do this. 
uh, I'm M. Uh, I will be doing the main hosting for this podcast. Uh, I am also a non-binary person. Uh, me and Destiny live in the Midwest in the United States of America. If you cannot tell from our voice, self-evident. <laughs> uh, I uh, used to, as a, I guess, hobby, semi trying to go semi-pro was a film critic. Uh, and thus, I stopped watching movies for four years after I burnt out of that. Uh, so this is my good intro back into film. Uh, I'm excited to be doing this because we've been trying to launch this movie podcast forever. Um, I have a lot of gaps uh, because, one, I stopped watching movies for a long time, but also I never got around to watching all of the good old movies anyway because who has seen them all, really, other than Destiny? <laughs> I feel like I haven't. Like, I've seen a lot of movies. I don't know if they were all capital I important movies, but I, I do my best. Trivia for history uh, the first podcast me and I ever did was a movie podcast. That's true. That was a long time ago. That's not on this network. That was not. That's, no, that was that's anything anyone can hear. It's it's forbidden. Forbidden knowledge. That uh, first one's probably fine because it was only you, me, and one other person talking about James Bond. That was a good uh, time. I mean, I if you go back in the archives of this feed, you can find podcasts about James Bond uh, with uh, me it's and true. Kyle talking about Spectre. Uh, but we're not here to talk about Spectre. We're here to talk about a good movie. No, Spectre's a good movie. <laughs> we're here to talk fine. about well-remembered, important films, uh, which Spectre is neither, unfortunately. Uh, and we're here to talk about Citizen Kane. Uh, Citizen Kane yes. uh, came out in 1941. It is written by Herman J. Mankiewicz and Orson Welles. It was directed by Orson Welles. Uh, who, Jackson, do you want to briefly tell people what Orson, uh, what, what Orson Welles is about? <laughs> no one can really summarize what Orson Welles is about. What's do you want to tell me what, what Citizen Kane is about, actually? Citizen Kane is about a man who did the goddamn news. Charles Foster Kane uh, dies. He's a newspaper magnate who lived at the end of his life in a secluded pleasure palace named Xanadu after Xanadu of old. Uh, and... This newsreel runs, it tells the story of his life. He got a fortune, lost a bit of it in the Depression, went back up. Everyone knows who he is. He's very influential, had a sex scandal, blah, blah, blah. All the service-level details of his life. Uh, and unsatisfied with this report, uh, the editor of um, the newspaper sends out uh, a man. We never see his face, but uh, they send out a man to find out the, the heart of Citizen Kane. He says Rosebud when he dies, and they're like, that must mean something. That must be like a clue to his existence. Uh, and he goes and interviews various people uh, about what Rosebud might mean, which is a uh, way to go into various flashbacks, uh, seeing the life of Citizen Kane, or I guess Charles Kane. He's not really called Citizen Kane in the movie. That's just the name of the movie. <laughs> First name Citizen, last name Kane. Uh, seeing the life of Charles Kane from various perspectives, uh, including his like um, father figure from the bank because he's sold. He's basically taken away from his uh, childhood home because they lived in a gold mine and this was part of the deal because uh, the, the mum sends him away because his, his dad's violent and it would give him a better future by having access to this money. Uh, there's uh, his best friend, uh, Jed Leland. Uh, there's his uh, recent... Um, uh, his second wife... Uh, uh, there's there's his like um, what's the the Bernstein? There's Bernstein who I like. What does he do? He's just kind of the business He's, guy who is uh, Charlie's friend. He like uh, works at the newspaper, doesn't he? He does. Yeah. But he comes in with him. He's like, yeah, he's, he's not just like his like assistant. Right? Yeah, he's yeah. like a hype man. <laughs> he basically is the hype man because <laughs> Jed's his friend and they start having conflict with um, Bernstein's the hype man. And so that's that's the whole movie is you just see his life play out from various perspectives. Uh, 
and it ends, and then you find out what Rosebud is. And if you have not been paying attention to the world for the last 30 years, or the 30 years, last 70 years, it's his sled. It's his childhood sled. 30 years ago, the spoiler uh, statue of limitations was up, and everyone just told you it was a sled. <laughs> Before that, no one was meant talking about the sled. I knew that it was the sled because of, like, Animaniacs and stuff uh, in the 90s. Well, like, uh, 10 plus years before I actually saw Citizen Kane. So, yeah. I didn't even know what the movie was about. I knew Rosebud was the sled. I knew Rosebud was the sled as well. Yeah, I had no idea what the film was about, but the Rosebud's definitely the sled. (laughs) Uh, And that's that's the movie. On a very very service level. Now let's ourselves do our own flashbacks to watching Citizen Kane. (laughs) Uh, I, I, yeah, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Look. I looked it up. Mr. Bernstein is Kane's personal business manager. Yeah, hype man. (laughs) (laughs) Checks out. (laughs) Um, well, uh, should we talk about context? Yeah, sure. If you want to talk a bit about context, be my guest. Alright, so... This movie almost wasn't. Essentially what happened was Orson Welles blew everybody's minds doing theater and radio. And he got this like unprecedented uh, sort of package from a movie studio where it's like, all right, you're going to get, uh, he, he gets this crazy contract from RKO where they're like, you're, you're, you get people's attention. You're very, like, you did that War of the Worlds thing. We want you really badly and we'll pretty much give you whatever you want. <laughs> so he signed a contract that he would act, direct, and produce and write two films and yada, yada, yada. He uh, got Final Cut, which was, like, super rare in those days for an American filmmaker. And people in Hollywood were like, who is he? He was only 23. So they didn't really like him from the get-go. But then he, you know, gets with uh, his co-writer, Herman Mankiewicz, and he's like, friends with William Randolph Hearst, who is this yellow journalist. He essentially owned all these papers. He essentially started the Spanish-American War. I'm not going to go into that. Uh, (laughs) Based on lies. He was a terrible person. And uh, it was a conflation of him and a few other people that they based the character of Kane on. And at some point, when the movie was about to be released, the a bunch of studio heads got together and were told by a gossip columnist that Hearst was paying to kind of spy on, you know, keep his eyes and ears in Hollywood, essentially. Uh, She saw the movie, came to the studio heads and said, hey, you can't release this. It's all about Hearst. If you do it, he'll sue the pants off you. And they... They came to Orson Welles and they were like, all right, we want to destroy the negatives. And he was like, no. And he, I don't know. I don't know how he got them not to destroy it. In a movie about this, he like gives an impassioned speech. But essentially, uh, 
Hearst refused to talk about the, the movie in any of his newspapers. So when it did come out, not a lot of people saw it. So it took a long time for it to kind of build its rep as a great American movie. Uh, because it did it did okay at the box office, but like Wells' career was super hurt, and movies that he made after Kane were never as um, critically acclaimed or well received. Um, I suppose I should cover the like technical reasons why people cite Susan Kane as like yes. one of the greats, but uh, I'm going to tell you right now before we get into this. Uh, th- Crediting Citizen Kane with, like, inventing any of these is specious at best. Uh, They all pre-existed. But uh, in a technical sense, Citizen Kane was known for a long time. When I was young, it was like, why is Citizen Kane popular? The reason I was told or read was, oh, it did all these uh, revolutionary things with film using, like, forced perspective and matte paintings and miniatures and deep focus uh, to create like a very unique look which none of those things are new in 1941 like they've all been done for 20 years uh citizen kane uh orson wells in particular understood that you don't have to be the first if you are the most and thus citizen <laughs> kane is the most of all of these things uh for a movie about newspapermen standing around talking about their bad decisions it, it has a ton of special effects uh yep and, a lot of them seamless. Yeah, really seamless. Uh, just like some of them really showy. Some of them like in a modern sense, you wouldn't think of them as showy. But there's like when you especially like watching this on Blu-ray, you can like see the matte paintings uh, more readily. Um, and it's just really obvious how much like the, he will just take a sh- like go from like a conversation shot to pull out to a big miniature in which people are superimposed waving out the windows of the newspaper building that stretches off to infinity um there is like a maximalist sense to citizen kane uh that is appropriate given its subject matter being uh the uh like as we segue into like our feelings on the movie like about the birth of like the 20th century and the ethos that robs people of morality good sense yep ethics in general i don't know (laughs) uh so we all like citizen kane right we've all seen this a bunch we all watch this again and we're like yeah this movie's still great (laughs) yeah the reason we chose it was like citizen kane is a movie that um has this reputation as being not through any fault of its own as just like a stuffy important history movie right like when things get elevated to the level of classics uh, there is a tendency to assume um that they are kind of boring and impenetrable yeah um, and that's often not true like this is a very just you know poppy movie you just watch it it goes it's watchable it's not like highbrow in terms of like talking down to its audience in the way that because of how school teaches things you would think about a lot of like you know movies like this or books or you know it's why everyone ends up hating shakespeare but then people who read it after school like it yes Um, and so we all came to citizen kane i assume like outside of school like i did it in school but i didn't you know i wasn't really about it then um and I, i i love it i think it's a really fun movie um it just flies by it's two hours long but it it goes by instantly Mm-hmm. I bought the 70th, 70th anniversary like Blu-ray uh, yeah. in 
I guess eight years ago now, which is a yep. terrifying thing. Uh, <laughs> back when I was buying movies, uh, and just on a whim because I'd never seen, it, I was like, "Oh, this was this was like on sale in like an Amazon deal of the day or whatever." Uh, so I bought it um, and watched it a couple times since then. Yeah, the thing that surprised me: this is maybe the first like really old movie I went to, and just it was just like, "Oh, this is just like it feels very modern." Uh, even for movies of this era, it's mm-hmm. super watchable. It's both funny and sad in the way that you would want a movie like this to be. Uh, it's just eminently approachable. And yes. thus, it's kind of perfect for like our first movie, right? Like We picked it because it's Citizen Kane, and that's the joke. But also, it's just one of these old ones that require... You can just go watch this. You can just watch this right now. Maybe you've never watched an old movie, never seen a thing from the 40s. I guarantee you're pretty going to have a pretty good time with Citizen Kane. I think the relatability of just a rise and fall story is what makes this movie kind of timeless. Just, I mean, that's pretty trite to say, but it it's just one of those things where he starts out, he's this principled person. He even writes out his principles. He's like, I'm for the working man. I'm going to help people out. And as he gets richer and tries to fill his world with you know uh materials and people like he collects things and he collects people uh and he loses that morality and he never really like he he doesn't he never really has like a redemption arc in any sense of the word he just loses people left and right and then he dies (laughs) yep uh I think it's interesting because it like presents as the very typical rise and fall person has principles and then gets too successful and loses them um, and everyone around him stories. And it, and it is that, but I like that it's a movie that um, it, like when, when Orson Welles, when Citizen Kane, every time when, when Charles Kane writes down <laughs> his principles in the newspaper, you're not meant to, like, I don't think you're meant to assume in that moment that he believes that these are like good things that he's standing up for. Um, he's this very static character in a very interesting way, and in that like he does it. He never becomes one of the rich people, right? Like there's that fantastic scene early on where uh, the actual rich guy is like, "Why didn't you invest anything?" And he's like, "I bought stuff. That's what you do with money. I bought stuff." Um, and then there's that other scene later on where uh, uh, Jed gives him this incredible. Um, speech kind of completely throwing back all of his principles in the face like your idea of standing up for the working man is being like a figurehead for people who like you just want to like you you don't actually want any of these people to get organized and you wouldn't have any money um and it presents these two like things it's not like it's a he gets worse it's just him understanding his place in the world right or us understanding his place in the world and his life um and i really appreciate that uh way of framing this kind of story I think he does believe in those principles because like one of the most um, overarching things about him is where he came from and he, uh, you know, remembers being ripped away from his mother and he didn't want to leave his parents. And then he ends up with, uh, what's his name? Mr. Thatcher. (laughs) Miss Thatcher. And yeah, and he spends most of his um adolescence sort of like joking about uh how he's just gonna 
do whatever he wants. Like he essentially buys the paper because he's like, I think it would be fun to run a newspaper and Thatcher gets all choked up and like <laughs> hilariously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everett Sloan, I think is the actor that plays him. He's really good. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like I think he believes it. I just think what happens is he like the, 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 my, the major difference between those two scenes of him writing out the principles and him uh, sort of being confronted by Jedediah and realizing that he's a huge hypocrite is that he's an older man now. He's been through a lot. Like, he's lost his son. He's lost an election. Uh, he, I, I think he did believe that at some point. I really do. And I think that... Uh, saying rosebud at the end and um he's he's always got that sort of maybe subconscious and sometimes conscious urge to like reconnect with the kind of person he was as a child but yeah. he i think he realizes he can't win over people with this uh power like he what he becomes power hungry i think one of the things that was like interesting to me in that stuff is um the so the moment where he fires jed right is like mm -hmm. it, it's it's something he had it's it's not showing that he's like lost all his principles it's showing what his principles actually are because he uh he writes his awful like review of his wife's opera and finishes it for him and that's that's Kane's idea of what it means to be principled. And it's clearly a full of shit. Like, not, like, that's, on no world is finishing your friend's bad review of your wife's opera in your paper that you, uh, that is, the paper's a vanity project for you, but then also your wife's opera's a vanity project for you. And then you're writing your own, like, takedown of it because it, that's somehow respectful for your friend. It's, like, clearly not actually in any way related to. <laughs> real morality but in the like, in kane's warped sense that's what honesty is is finishing that review in that moment <laughs> yeah like he has that interior code uh the thing for me is like this is a story of a kid who sees it like he's given away because the money is enough to like rip him from his mother and like as an adult, you look at that and it's like, oh, she's trying to get him out of a bad situation. But in the scene, uh, like he definitely sees it as his mom tells him to go away with this banker who doesn't care about him. Right. Yes. And is clearly a phony and uh, he hates him uh, and has always hated him. And then he grows up like bouncing around schools, failing out of all of them upwards because to Kane, power is like is the permission to do things the short, like short and easy way. Like if you have enough money and if you have enough influence, you don't have to like succeed. You will automatically just get what you want because that's what the structures of power are. Especially right. like as someone rising up in like the end of 19th century, early 20th, he just becomes like through his trust fund, a person with means and the capacity to do stuff. Uh, like, you know, he flunks out of all these schools and ends up being someone who knows that he's very clever and knows that he has a lot of money. And that's the two things he relies upon. Um, the thing I always remember is like when he's right, like right before, as he writes out those principles, he's like, I want to be to the city, what these gas lights to the city are, and then turns the gas light off. 
uh, and walks out of the room. <laughs> like it's uh, like he wants to be this constant that everyone relies upon, but isn't doesn't understand what actual love is because he's like a love starved person. Like to him, love is people in your orbit who like recognize your power. Uh, and that's kind of the thing Jedediah says when he finally yells at him. He's like, there, you know, it's the twenties. There's going to be a labor movement. You need to understand that people aren't just going to owe you fealty because you're a rich person. Uh, your ideology doesn't extend past your checkbook and that's not forever. Uh, and he specifically says like, you don't need, like people don't, you want people to owe, feel like they owe you gratitude and that's not how this works. And that's like what he does with his wife. Like she says, oh, I once, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a singer. And then he builds her an opera house because that's what he thinks affection is and how you earn people's like respect and love uh, because he has no idea what human beings are. She doesn't uh, even say she wants it. She says no. her mother wanted it for her yes. when she was a kid and he's decided, no, we're going to be a great opera singer. Yes. Uh, so I definitely think that those principles are his idea of what the people want. Yes. Like this magnanimous top-down sense of I'm going to fight for the little man because I know I'm not the rich person, but also he's never been the little man. He bounced through every rich school in the world for like 10 years, uh, and doesn't even know how to like hold a conversation with normal people, much less like fight for their rights. All he wants to do is like disrupt things. Like he is, he's the epitome of like tech bro disruption right. culture. Yeah. I mean like th this movie like ends up playing 100% as a <laughs> very relevant thing watching it in, like today. Right. Yeah. He could uh, just be the, like the CEO of Uber and it would almost be the same movie. Be identical movie. <laughs> CEO of Uber absolutely walks in and is like, I want our app to be like the gas in this light turns it off. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, and it's very good at that. <laughs> yeah, I want I want to be the thing people think of when they think of moving across the country. Uh, and gives an impassioned speech about cars as his IPO tanks. And he puts every other business out of work and then his business goes under and the world is worse off for it. And I, I like that while the movie is a critique of that, right? It is definitely about why this is an awful thing um, and a hollow thing that isn't a good thing to be as a person. Um it doesn't come across as a like takedown movie. It's not about here's all the way Kane is bad because that's the easy answer. Mm -hmm. um, it's much more about like because there's that fantastic scene where um, after the flashback uh, with his second wife with Susie, um, and like all the awful things that uh, Kane has done, uh, like literally she's spent this entire time telling this reporter just how awful he's treated her um, and then the reporter goes uh, what do you say he says something like I can't help but feel a bit sorry for him and she just looks at him and goes you think I don't uh, and that's this incredible moment of like you do people don't do bad things or become just monstrous evil people for no reason right there is like a tragedy at the heart of this the society is melding these people into this way yeah. Uh, I mean, like, we call it, like, celebrity culture now. I feel like Wells mm. would probably call it, like, the myth-making of, yes. like, this era of American capitalism, like the Robber Baron era, where, like, you know, there's many things in our world today still named after Rockefeller, who was a bad person, who just happened to have a lot of money. But there are these stories and charisma wrapped around the great American success story that pull people into its orbit, who, even when they realize they're being played, like on some level are like wistful and find it charming. Um, Jedediah 
actively like doesn't speak to Kane for decades and still like looks on him nostalgically because at one time he was his friend and he was charismatic and he was pulled into that orbit and enjoyed success based on it even if all of that he knew was at the whims of this person who had power over him mm -hmm. uh it like Orson Welles like Kane as played by Orson Welles isn't a monster because he does bad things he's a monster because he believes that he's exactly as good as he is charming and yes. that's a terrible combination that's <laughs> so bad he gives a hitler speech he does give a bit of a hitler speech he he, he basically goes but her emails lock her up he, he yes does um like because i don't actually want to say you know the if this movie had been more I'm surprised there wasn't incredibly loads of God. I can't talk. A billion awful think pieces in 2016 about Citizen Kane, right? The yeah. one thing I found, uh, there is a great <laughs> uh, sort of uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's like a kind of political, kind of literary uh, podcast called The Relentless Picnic. Uh, right after Trump was elected, they did do a sort of um deep dive into the movie through the lens of it being it is donald trump's favorite movie uh and, it, <laughs> <laughs> and they talk about how he just like yeah he did not get the moral stuff the only thing he says about it is he says some dumb stuff about rosebud and then he says oh my advice to kane it it would have been to get a better like a different woman and then uh, one of them, uh, one of the great editing things in that podcast episode is that they uh, play the Kane speech. And then right after they do play one of his weird, like, I'm going to hire a committee to investigate Hillary Clinton uh, sort of uh, speeches. So, yeah, no, it, it's out there. It's just, yeah, it, it's kind of surprising there wasn't more of it. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, like a big part of that speech is him going, I'm not going to make campaign promises because I'm too busy winning this election. I'll give you things I know you want when I'm elected and not tell you what those are because he assumes he's going to be elected because he has this groundswell support and the movie doesn't go out of its way to not depict his opponent as like a corrupt politician, right? Like he's absolutely one of those like slimy institutionalized, like probably organized crime linked politicians of the cities of this era. But he also understands that you can't just waltz in and de facto name yourself the winner of elections like this, right? Yep. Um, unfortunately, we live in the uh, bad future where absolutely you can do that. So, whoops. Yeah, the thing that ruins his political career is that he's cheating on his wife and the opponent. And, yes, and people and people react to that negatively. Yeah, like... Uh, his opponent, you know, is the one who, like, blackmails him into, re like, revealing it to his wife and to the public. And <laughs> he marries her, like, what, two weeks after his divorce? Uh, but yeah, no, he he uh, totally loses his uh, election over it. It's crazy. How quaint. Also his newspaper immediately like claims election fraud uh, like yeah. is the, the thing they go with <laughs> yes <laughs> uh yeah the, the bit where they're like oh that one that one they just slowly lift the, the pick the, the headline up into frame and it zooms in on it it's very funny <laughs> oh this movie has so many great zooms and wipes and pans and uh, uh 
the scene where they're having breakfast and it shows the complete absolute dysfunction of his first marriage uh, that starts with his wife being like oh i wish you'd come home more darling and him being like i've got a paper to run and they're all kind of you know on good terms and after a few whip pans it's just her just completely filled with pettiness reading the chronicle yeah they're like yes. at the table they never leave the table but these years pass it's like a thornton wilder play yeah. <laughs> while he's reading his own newspaper <laughs> And they're and further just, apart. <laughs> further apart, sitting completely in silence as it pulls back from them. Incredibly funny. <laughs> yeah, that that's a very uh, famous <laughs> sequence. Yeah, uh, and also in both that, like their costuming gets more and more like elaborate and yes. well to do. Uh, it reminded me a lot of uh, there was an article going around about like the favorite as costuming showing moral decay as things mm-hmm. get more like elaborate and ostentatious. Uh, yes. How it represents like this veneer over like the hidden nastiness of the upper class, which I think is very good. Like. Mm-hmm. Um, we got an email uh, jumping a little bit ahead, but they, it was calling me out specifically as someone with a well-known crush on Orson Welles, uh, asking, <laughs> can Welles get it? And I love that from the first shot of him, like 25 years old, running the newspaper, you're like, oh, yes, absolutely can get it. And by the end of this, he just turns into like this like egg-headed old man uh, that has lost all of his like charm and charisma. Like he's just stiffly walking through his uh, dead mansion with no one in it. And then like technically the last time we see him alive, he's getting wheeled away in a wheelchair by like a nurse or something. And the camera, it's implied that the camera is uh, secretly filming him through a fence. And that's kind of like the last of him. Um, yeah, like he he dies uh, with like the thing he wants, right? Which is a bunch of people who are indebted to him forever that they owe their existence to him, and absolutely nothing real. I mean, ki- kind of, but like all he's left with is employees, right? Like everyone who is morally or emotionally right. beholden to him is gone. It's just this shitty butler and the staff, right? Oh, the butler's so <laughs> shitty. Yes. I love that guy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I know, Rosebud, you're going to give me some money for it? And then he's like, ah, he said it, I guess. And then he's like, I already fucking knew that, mate. You're not getting your money. <laughs> the, 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 the interviewer going, like, when he tells him the story, he's like, ah, oh, yeah, I knew about Rosebud. He's like, oh, you're a seminal guy. And he, and he like, sneers and goes, ah, yes and no, as he just <laughs> dispassionately tells him about his boss dying. <laughs> yeah, the only person that still cares about Charles is is mr bernstein who has that giant uh almost like saintly portrait of kane (laughs) in his office when he's being interviewed by thompson (laughs) yeah it's really Mm -hmm. funny to me because like even jedediah till the end he's just always like ugh, like he he was so selfish he was so selfish and does not uh believe in him as a principled person susan the second wife she's like oh he you know my uh only free act was leaving him it was the one thing he couldn't control and then bernstein's just like i owe everything (laughs) um yeah and and i'm sure he's corrupt in his own way 
It's kind of implied. I don't know. Um. Uh, yeah, I feel like I've, anyone who's got money in this movie is bad, right? Yes. <laughs> Which is the most, like, if I were 25 and they were going to let me have creative control over a script, that's exactly what I would write my movie about. It's what the things he got away with are a lot like the the, the one being so blatant about the Hearst connection is very funny but two one of the first things that happens in the movie uh, is that Kane walks in the middle of the newsreel and goes I've been talking to Hitler there will be no war (laughs) (laughs) this movie came out in 1941 so yeah it's crazy how just he just had them yeah um the thing with the Hearst stuff is really funny to me because this isn't specific to a single person in history, right? Like this could be the story of so many great men who decide they're going to be the like voice of the people or the, the, on the pulse of public opinion. Um, Like, yeah, it applies to Hearst. It applies to Trump. It applies to dozens of other people. Every single tech CEO ever in history. (laughs) Yes. Every single tech CEO, every American president of the last hundred years. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Like the the point of this movie is that it is an entire class of people. (laughs) Yes. Um, The thing that I appreciate in all of this is like for all this highfalutin, this is the, what it is. This is what history is writ into a human drama. Uh, the casting of a bunch of theater actors who mostly have not done film means that everyone is just hamming it up the entire film. There's Uh, so much acting. Specific shout out to Joseph Cotton, who plays being an old person like your Colonel Sanders for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I listened to the Ebert, Roger Ebert commentary, not the whole thing, but uh, about those Joseph Cotton scenes. So they were rushed, the elderly uh, Jedediah Mm -hmm. scenes. They were rushed because during the scene where um, Wells is running after his wife after she's, you know, they've gone to Susan's apartment and the the uh, political opponents there, he, uh, he runs down the stairs to chase her and he broke his ankle. So they couldn't film the shots they wanted with Wells. So they were like, all right, just hurry up and get Cotton in old man makeup will do these scenes and he hated his bald cap he thought he looked stupid he got that hat and wore it to try to like make himself look better and he was he was never uh like he was quoted as saying something along the lines of like these are the worst parts of me in the film Oh, he was correct. He was absolutely <laughs> correct. He was fully no, correct. No, I, I, I like the dialogue in those scenes. Oh, I like I, that he. I think I enjoy it as like a hammy, campy thing. Like it's his depiction of like the old guy who realizes he can just kind of get away with being like openly like the like uh like the sleazy id of this person is really good. Um, He's constantly we, asking after a cigar. Yeah. Yeah, like we like everyone's met an old person who just doesn't give any fucks anymore, and it just knows they can get away with stuff because people will excuse their bad behavior. Um, and sometimes that's charming, and sometimes it's the worst, and some most of the time it's both uh, in varying degrees. Uh, and he plays it really well. But like of all the actors in this movie, I'm like, oh right, Joseph Cotton, he's the one who was in a bunch of like movies, uh, and seeing him chew the scenery when 
his like modern like just normal adult Jedi stuff is actually really understated like he's like the most I'm here to do good acting work while everyone's being uh ridiculous um the juxtaposition I think is one of my favorite things because he plays the old man version so broad well he really does it's great because like young Jedi just believes in him so much he follows him from school and he you know uh when he realizes he he doesn't have his principles anymore like you can tell it's pretty early on where he loses his his admiration for Kane because his like everybody's singing along to that song. Yeah, Kane bring Kane buys all of the like old guard newspaper men because he wanted to have the best newspaper and doesn't know what that means and then celebrates by bringing in a marching band and a chorus line of dancing girls and has a song written about him a folk song and jedediah can't even like bring himself to sing along he's bernstein's like super into it and jedediah's like oh my god what is this well i like that uh jedediah bought into this idea like we're going to be the reformers we're going to change the world the old guard is old and corrupt and we with our people with ambition and new ideas are gonna come in and change stuff and the first thing that Kane does is like buy all the old men he was fighting yeah and Jedediah as he becomes more and more disillusioned he starts drinking a lot more yes uh, anytime like you stuff. watch oh, go ahead I like that stuff because um Jed's like the moment that Kane and Jed fall out isn't the moment that he it's not because he sells out his principles necessarily it's because jed realizes that although they had this camaraderie and were basically inseparable in, in school that him and wells are not in the same class and will never be right no. like he will yeah. never have folk songs written about him um <laughs> and it, it's just this moment where through this ludicrous scene as all these girls come in and everyone starts dancing and screaming and everything jed just like slowly realizes this just gulf that can't be crossed in what it means to have like actual power in america Mm -hmm. uh and i I really like that yeah uh the thing that these movies like this movie and a lot of movies set this era remind me is people used to drink (laughs) <laughs> I have one beer and I'm like, I'm ready to just kind of lay down for the afternoon. And these people are just slamming them down all the time. I guess this is what happened before you could check Twitter, right? You just had another drink. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. Imagine how much less dignified this movie would have been if Charles Kane was fucking posting. <laughs> I mean, you watch the newsroom. <laughs> I, I watch the newsroom. That's true. I watch the newsroom and I... The president is posting twenty four seven. He's yep. got to post his brain. Oh, it's wanna... broken. Oh, God, imagine, sorry. imagine if, if Kane's contempt of his wife crossing puzzles were like a twenty tweet thread on Twitter at four in right. the morning. <laughs> <laughs> What's but wild it, is. Uh, oh, what were you gonna say, Jackson? Oh, I, I was just gonna continue joking about that. I assume you have an actual point. <laughs> I was gonna say uh, that <laughs> uh, even though, like. Well, swore up and down, and Mankwitz swore up and down the the screenwriter, a co-screenwriter, uh, that like, yeah, this is a conglomeration of people. Like, the movie dogs her his entire life. When his son dies, the obit has a headline in one of the papers: "Son of Citizen Kane dies." <laughs> Uh, That's the sequel to this movie, Son of Citizen Kane. The, the, thing, the thing I like about that is that it, it basically proves the point of the movie, where it's like, it doesn't matter what the truth is, like, the myth will always be bigger than the reality. Like, he probably didn't mean it to be entirely 
uh, Foster Wallace, but it's it's that now because people associate that, and you can't you can't dictate to the people what the truth is going to be if they choose to believe something that's wrong, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I really like the way the sun stuff is handled because you would think, right, in a movie about a man who is deeply connected with his childhood and trying to get this moment back uh, but can't understand why he's lost that um you would think that that would like play directly into oh my son who is a who is my child and my legacy and blah blah all all that stuff like lines up very nicely and you would assume that's what the movie would be about he's barely in it it skips over his death so quickly you never see kane have any real emotional reaction to his death Oh, sorry. I was going to say it's only mentioned in the newsreel at the very beginning of the film that the son dies with the first wife in a car accident. But yeah, that you don't actually see that scene. Uh, I don't know if it's because the people that Thompson goes to interview have no like insight into that uh, or what. But yeah, you never get that. I I think it's both. It's like one, um, I assume Kane doesn't, you know, think too much about that. Uh, because he's just constantly chasing all these things and uh, trying to fill these holes in his life. But two, there are like the wife dies. They can't talk to the first wife. They can't talk to his son. There are people who have insight into this man who are gone. And when those people are gone, then you can't know the people they know, right? Like, yeah. There yeah. Are, there's information that gets lost. You cannot get a complete picture of someone's people die. That's how history works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the fact that there's so many gaps makes this, like, even in a movie about, like, getting to the truth behind the myth, still about the various myths that the individuals involved have of their own. Like, their depictions of Cain don't all line up, and I think it, the ways in which they don't are interesting and good. Not in, like, mm-hmm. a full-on Rashomon, like, the facts are wrong, but, like, Wells definitely plays Cain as different people to different viewers, right? Like, the way the he way... treats his second wife is so different than the way he treats Jedediah. And you feel the same level of contempt, but the way it expresses is so different. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. And especially, like, that first scene, um, which is from Thatcher's perspective, uh, when he's, like, just running the newspaper office. Everything's good. He's just, like, so in his element and completely showing Thatcher down. Uh, and then you see that era f- um, from Bernstein's perspective, who still like is into Kane, um, but seeing that era from like the start of it and him just like completely, basically running this foppish newspaper man immediately out of a job and saying, "I am the man with the principles now. You can go fucking you know lose your job," um, <laughs> is just like instant in how um, completely different uh, like that is because you see none of the human cost to uh, what Kane does in that first scene you just see I want to run a newspaper and then he is and he's great at it look at him it's it's uh, Charles Kane here he does things uh, and then the second you actually pull back on that it definitely tries to highlight the that he displaced people in order to take over this position that there are people who do not have his power that like if a rich person's going to come in and demand that they do a thing, they are kicking out someone else who was already doing that every time. It's also really disturbing how he literally is responsible for starting a war. Like yes. that is heavily implied. It's 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 you know one of the main things in the newsreel, uh, and Bernstein never really like <laughs> brings that up. It's very strange. That there, there is a very real human cost that is completely ignored. Well, I think the movie is very aware of the way that myths and thus newspapers can completely dehumanize stories, right? Like, the things that Kane is responsible for 
and the moral lines that Kane crosses in the movie are the personal relationships directly with the people that are being interviewed. It is when he hits his wife. It is when he fires Jed. These are the like people who are close to him who he betrayed. But in the background of that, like it is unquestionable that he has had like a monstrous effect on the world. Um, and I think the movie is like you know he gives a Hitler speech. It's not subtle <laughs> about the way the uh, Kane's desires are having this effect on society um that cannot be ignored uh, and i like that it plays with those two levels right because uh, in terms of a one-to-one what like responsibility sense the wider newspaper stuff is absolutely the moral failings or the most morally horrific acts he commits are literally starting wars <laughs> um, <laughs> but that's not what people care about who are like within his orbit because they're right all they about the remember he cheated on his wife and he lost that election and what nobody talks about the sun dying like <laughs> nobody talks about that uh, the thing to go back around to that is like he is so much a person defined by his childhood was interrupted slash ruined and then corrupted by like the things he was given uh and because the sun is so absent like you get the sense like even if you want to read in, like, this is not a problem with the unreliable narrators, I think it's very easy to see a person who is so wrapped up in their own, like, lost mm -hmm. childhood that they can't engage with the child that they have in front of them. Yes. Like, this is the way people with bad childhoods go. Either you become a parent who decides to rectify all the wrongs done to you with your child, or you can't get over your own problems to see, like, the potential for a future ahead of you. Uh, and he is absolutely the person who's so concerned with buying people's love because he never had it that he doesn't remember his dead child, right? Like, on some level, he's more concerned about his sled than any of the people he lost in his life. Because it, it, those people were stand-ins for that thing and always were. Right. I think it's really poignant that the night he meets his second wife, Susan, um, he's actually going to uh, see about the storage of a bunch of stuff from his his mom had passed away. Yes. And it had been a few months and he was going to go through his childhood stuff that she had saved. And he gets interrupted because, you know, he gets splattered in mud and she's laughing at him and uh, he kind of... You know, he completely gets distracted by this uh, young, giggly woman and decides, you know, instead of going and being reflective and introspective about these childhood relics, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to make this lady into a singer. <laughs> to the detriment of everything else in my life. Yep. Uh, I also think it's worthwhile noting, like, the minute that he's taken away by the banker, like, that Christmas, he has another sled, uh, which with, like, a different name, and it doesn't matter. It's not about the sled as, like, yes. it's about the representation in his life, um, because, like, the other sled's, like, named Champion or something ridiculous Crusader? Like that. Yes, Crusader, that's what it was. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, very good. Uh, yeah. Citizen Kane, not a subtle film. <laughs> Yeah, no, I no. love, yeah, that, I, I do love that, like, immediately he has a sled in his hand, like, he, <laughs> uh, another visual thing that I really like is the snow globe that he drops when he dies, you see it in Susan's apartment when he first goes in there, and when he's destroying the room after she leaves him, after they've been married, uh, he sees it and he says Rosebud when he looks at that snow globe. 
And I don't know. And oh, when it's in Susan's apartment, Ebert pointed this out, so I'm not like amazing. Uh, it's next to a childhood photo of Susan. So he automatically, you know, links snow with childhood. <laughs> Just like a hammer. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I do love the scene where he completely destroys Susan's uh, room after she leaves because it's just the most petulant pathetic thing mm-hmm. uh, the big final moment is just him completely unseen like it, she's left it is the uh the butler's giving the narration but they're all outside the room they're not really looking yeah. in no the thing the thing that bought like that i thought was really funny and very like uh, like well written is the butler uh does the opposite of what he should be doing in making sure no one sees this outburst and just lets the entire staff stand outside the door looking in <laughs> yep yes it's because it's it's a spectacle right like this, yes. this rich powerful man is just a child yes yeah. like and say what you will about like ideas of like the help the first thing a butler worth his salt would do would make sure nobody saw it or spoke of it ever right <laughs> like, that's they, true Worth a salt in a doing his job type way, right? Yeah, like, in a in a actually expressing care for the person in, who's employing you. But fa- like uh, Kane doesn't in- encourage engender that sort of like affection. So instead, they just watch him have his baby tender- temper tantrum. Yep, and then he just walks away into the end of the movie. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> As you get that incredible shot where it's all the mirrors, and you're like, "This is definitely the final shot of him, isn't it?" I've watched a movie before. <laughs> oh, so good. The the. Entrance and exit of Wells in this movie. Chef's kiss. <laughs> Absolutely. Because you don't see him without makeup. Like, what, six minutes until six minutes in? Maybe seven? I don't know. The newsreel's awful long. Uh, and it just jumps around in his life so much uh, that when you finally see him, he's like in a chair and he turns around. He's got the newspaper and he's being sassy to Thatcher. And, oh, it's so good. Yeah, the reveal of young, hot, awesome Wells. Yes. <laughs> it's a lot. Ridiculous. It's overwhelming. It's crazy <laughs> how hot he is. <laughs> uh, especially after, you know, w- what you see in the, the newsreel. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And that scene at the start of the movie that's in, like, there's so many showy scenes in the movie, but I think that the, just because it's the first one and it's come after such a deliberately awkward newsreel, um, the, the scene with them all talking as the, like, projection lights are there and they're all in shadow is just illegally showy (laughs) it's great the reason he does that is because a lot of those actors play different characters later (laughs) on in the film because they didn't have like an amazing budget so there's a lot of um little tricks they do to kind of make things seem more epic than they actually are so yeah like the projection room scenes were kind of shot in a rush because they were supposed to be doing screen tests and they just decided to film start making the movie. Yeah. yeah start making the movie <laughs> that made him ahead of schedule so nobody really bothered him you know uh but yeah no and it and it also doubles as being yeah this really dramatic intense uh group of men talking about this life <laughs> It's 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 incredible. God, there's so many. Just like we've talked about the themes of the movie a lot, but there's just um, a lot of hashtag good shots, right? Like yeah, in a way yeah, that aesthetics. this movie is remembered for to the point where it's kind of you know passe and made fun of just for being a showy shot movie. But they're good. They're good shots. The deep focus is good. I'm sorry, the deep focus is I good. I love the <laughs> deep focus. I think it's great. And then like one thing that people always talk about is how this was one of the first 
movies of that era to like have ceilings for all right. of the rooms in the film. And be, it's because they used they didn't actually have literal ceilings. They made the knots. They had yeah, like muslin cloth and they covered up the lights and the microphones with that. And there's just so many ways you can play with light and shadow to just make it look like a ceiling. And then the rooms look more lived in and cramped and cozy, which is a great visual metaphor. And that allows them to get a lot of like low angles in there, right? Like, especially by the end of the movie when like, so at the start, it's just a lot of people talking in rooms and there's a lot of showy effect shots. But then by the end of the movie, like every scene in Xanadu is just like <laughs> they're doing the thing where uh, you know um, Susan will be like I want to go out today and then Kane will be all the way over here going darling we're not going to the town today <laughs> just across the room <laughs> echoing yeah <laughs> a lot of the uh, best moments of dialogue in this movie really play with like people not being heard or having some sort of impediment between what who they're talking to them and the person they're talking to yeah <laughs> uh yeah a lot of those low shots they would uh just put holes in the floor and greg tollin the cinematographer would just get into the floor <laughs> and shoot the movie that way he uh was uh famous and he like came to wells uh, he got an Oscar for, I can't even remember the movie he got the Oscar for, but he comes in to Wells' office at RKO and he puts the Oscar down and he's like, I want to work with you because the only way to learn anything is to work with someone who doesn't know what they're doing. Yeah, and- <laughs> I like the description of that because like uh, whenever Wells talks about this and because everyone credits, you know, Susan Cain's being um, this incredible movie with like innovative things that he's trying because he doesn't know like it's his first Hollywood movie right like so yeah, a lot yeah, of things yeah. that he's not baked into how to make these but it's important to know that it's not it's it's not the thing where you know you're a film student you look at this because maybe I'm a genius it's <laughs> no, no, the, no. the combination of completely inexperienced very clever person and someone who's been doing this a long time and knows exactly what to do and exactly. these two people mix together really well to make uh, uh, the movie looks good it just looks good there's a reason why Greg Toland shares the the title card right. credit with Wells yes. like Wells yes. till his dying day always gave Toland the credit that he deserved as uh you know, uh, making up all of those creative angles and shots. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so much visual good. I didn't know that um, there was so much split screen in the film where characters are just like, there's a scene where Crane, or excuse me, Crane, <laughs> Kane <laughs> is sitting and Jedediah is behind him and like the screen on Joseph Cotton is very, very close up and it's a split screen. And I just assumed he was just standing behind him and the camera was really good. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of that. Like you read about some of how they did like sometimes it was visual effects shots of like they would paste two frames together. Sometimes they would do it like in camera and like first time they shoot it, they would cover up this half of the lens, second yep. time cover up the other half of the lens and like use the same film twice so it's already affects in camera. And it's yes. just like wild shit. Uh, anyway, movies look illegally bad. Yeah, it's <laughs> wild how this, with all of its special effects and all of its just optical illusions, looks crazy expensive and 
uh, maximalist is the word M used earlier. And I think, yeah, that's a great way to put it. And then you look at movies today and it's like, <laughs> where's the artistry? <laughs> yeah, not to be uh, obnoxious, you know. Uh, I mean, the, the thing about this is, like, every movie has, like, digital skies and set extensions now. Yes. But it, it's not about, like, all these techniques are the norm, but done without, like, any sort of, like, consideration Intention. towards the, 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 like, for, like, what it's going to mean in the camera. Like, what it looks like in the scene. What it's doing for the story. It's just the techniques that are used because every movie's shot on a, like, a soundstage that you now want to make look like a city. Exactly. Right? Yeah, there's no intentionality in the same way and you know obviously not everything new is right got yeah. that problem but well, this coming across is a very problem. obnoxious now but uh, <laughs> there's a truth to it right like mm -hmm. maybe should never have gone color they they really shouldn't have i uh one of the best parts about that ebert commentary is he points out that the reason why susan and charles meet on that wet street is because Dry streets don't photograph well in that black and white film. The nope. shiny, wet, rainy street pops. It looks great. It's got, like, reflective surfaces. Uh, they just don't make them like they used to. <laughs> God, we're terrible. <laughs> uh, with that, I think it's time to probably start wrapping up because we have a bunch of emails and we're already pushing an hour. So. That's true. Oh, I Does anyone have on. any final <laughs> thoughts about Citizen Kane? I love it. It's a fantastic movie. Uh, it's, I appreciate how funny I find it. Uh, yes. every time I watch it, I'm like, oh, right. This is just like a good time and also a good story. I think uh. one of the things that, um, just always will stay with me is how it, 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 it shouldn't be as timeless a story as it is. I, I could watch this movie once a year and still find new things to pour over. Uh, okay, let's uh, move on to emails. If you have emails. emails, you can send them to podcast at abnormalmapping.com. Uh, they can be about anything. They don't just have to be about the movie we're talking about. But uh, these four are. Jackson, do you want to take the first one at the bottom and we'll work our way up? Yeah, so we have our first email from Logan Kenny. Uh, which has four questions in it. We'll just do them rapid fire. They're not very um, yeah, uh, very detailed. Some of them we've already got into a little bit. But uh, three questions, four lines. Uh, <laughs> best awesome Wells film that isn't Citizen Kane. Uh, I would I think... say F for Fake. I kind of want to go and rewatch all of them. Yeah, but F for Fake is probably my favorite. I think Touch of Evil is the only one I've seen. If there's another one I have I've seen, then um, I've forgotten it. <laughs> uh, so I think Touch of Evil is the just by default, default of being the other one. Uh, but I, it is very good. I love it. I have to think about it. Give me a second. You were watching The Third Man last night. It's not his movie, though. He just I know, but I mean, it. he's in it. Like, I, with, <laughs> Susan Kate, or with Orson Welles, I feel like maybe that can, like, he's such a presence that, like, I would have accepted Third Man and not questioned it as a choice I mean, for... His act, okay, he and Joseph Cotton are both in that movie, and they're both amazing in it. Yes, uh, really my good. favorite, like, performance of Orson Welles is mostly Harry, uh, Harry Lyme in The Third Man. But my favorite directorial uh, film is uh, 47's uh, Lady from Shanghai. Mm -hmm. It has um, Everett Sloan in it, Rita Hayworth, who was married 
Well, no, they were kind of like estranged when the, uh, they made that movie together, but it's like this really sort of dark uh, noir film. It's super good. Yep. Um, the other question is, what is your first experience with the film? I think we, we talked a little bit about this, uh, but if there's any more specific details anyone wants to get into. Uh, no, I mean, I think I said why I bought it and how yep. I watched it. <laughs> Yeah, I watched it on a whim on DVD one day. It was great. There's this uh, track on the White Stripes album, White Blood Cells, that is just full of quotes from Citizen Kane. Uh, And the chorus is the It Can't Be Love for There Is No True Love song that plays at that party that he throws for his wife. Uh, And there's just a billion lines in that song. And I just remember... Hearing that in high school and being like, "Oh, I gotta, I gotta rewatch Citizen Kane." <laughs> <laughs> uh, the final question is self-explanatory at this point. Could Awesome get it? Come on. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> My God. Uh, all right. I have a question from Jen, uh, which is generally, do you think Citizen Kane uh, contributed to like Orson Welles' career decline? Um, as like uh, and she coached in terms of like uh making a piece of work so incredible that the rest of your career can't keep up with it uh i think much like kane himself wells's problem was not the things he made but the ways in which he made them yes i agree like he just he just burned so many bridges and hollywood was way even more of like a tight-knit like you know boys club than it is now uh that absolutely they made sure that he never had the career that he should have had because of the way he made this Mm -hmm. well he lost his uh contract like it got renegotiated after kane Mm -hmm. so when he released his second movie magnificent ambersons he didn't get final cut there were all these problems with production and then of course like no one really saw it so yep. he kind of just lost, like, whatever goodwill he had, you know, built up before the movie. By the time it was released and he was expected to keep making them, it was really hard for him to come back from that. Yep. Next question, Jackson. Next question. Uh, we have one uh, from uh, our friend uh, Alison Orton June. And uh, she asks... Uh, Citizen Kane has been one of my favorite movies for like eight years and every time I watch it again I'm always shocked by how I still like it Uh, after I started to transition I didn't like most of the movies I had liked back when I was a teen quote-unquote boy Um, however when I last saw Kane about six months before I started to transition I was still in love with it do you have a similar experience with it Uh, I'm sure you've gone through life changes since the time you saw it but judging by tweets before the podcast you still really like it are there any other movies that you thought you would grow out of but actually still love me and Jackson were talking about Terminator 2 not two days ago. (laughs) (laughs) I sure will. I can't believe I still like a lot of those early Tarantino movies as much as I do. (laughs) Yeah, no. uh, I think Tarantino is a shitbag, and I don't particularly like the last couple of his films. Still have a lot of affection for a large portion of his body of work. Uh, Even recognizing all the problems in it. Mm -hmm. I definitely feel the same way i'm also surprised that just a lot of those 
90s indie movies hold up as well as they do. Not all of them. I but... won't follow you down this road. <laughs> <laughs> I don't Clerks know. is still good. <laughs> Clerks is still good. Uh, Clerks 2. Uh, Roll the roller coaster out of that one, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, that's that's one that... Hmm. I can't rewatch Clerks 2, but I could rewatch Clerks right now. I guess Kevin Smith would be the one for me of like big teen boy movies. I would, I would watch, I would watch Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back right now. Right fucking now. (laughs) But Uh, not Clerks. No, uh, Clerks would be fine. Not Clerks too. Not Mallrats. I never liked Mallrats. I always liked Mallrats. Uh, I bet Chasing Amy is still good to the point where it's like w- hilarious, like problematic stuff is like now just very funny. I <laughs> uh, guess. I always thought that it felt like, uh, like almost charming in how much it like describes a real situation, but clearly by someone who's never under like, been in the situation. <laughs> right. <laughs> and has a hard that. time seeing other people's point of view. <laughs> yes. Um, I think a I lot like- of movies are reinforced. Like, as I get older and like more cemented in my identity, even like politically, I, I I think I find certain revisits like more enriching. Most of the things that I was really into when I was younger, even if they're bad, I still like I can go back to and still like appreciate in a big way. Anime podcast has documented some of this. Um, <laughs> I think the things that I. W- it's easy to like note the things that I that this didn't happen to. For example, fucking Serenity. Oh, um, I have not rewatched it as an adult. Firefly's always been bad. You know, I'm high on this horse. I yeah, will but, uh, leave you right now. <laughs> <laughs> I was very into it as a teen, but uh, last time I watched Serenity, I was like, God, what? Oh my God. Yeah, I th- no. I, th- I think they might be the South. <laughs> yeah, I, I think they might really <laughs> like Confederacy and really not want to put actual Chinese people on the screen, but talk a lot about China. <laughs> I agree with the China thing. I disagree with the Confederacy thing. I um, think you should that's watch a really again. simplistic read. You should rewatch but, the thing. <laughs> but true. I, I say, okay, by the way, I said I hadn't watched it as an adult. I first <laughs> saw that movie when I was... 20 something so yeah no uh re-watching it as a 30 something i'll, I'll let y'all know <laughs> mm-hmm. it is it is it is like on the face of it a lost cause like our glorious uh, like uh rebellion did not go down well and now we live in the aftermath story like that's why he's a cowboy because he lost the war also the twist in serenity spoilers is that they gave people drugs that made everyone lie down and die because they're trying to just neutralize humanity the big farm the, not big farm it's more like the government of put it's chemtrails the twist is chemtrails chemtrails yes. killed the yeah. world fluoride he just turns people that, into sheep you have yeah i understand that they had to cram you know all this stuff that was supposed to be it's a okay, tv show it. into a film yeah no i shouldn't yeah i'll stop <laughs> just uh, we will be okay somehow our- uh our last question is from landon who watched the movie for the first time in preparation for this podcast congratulations you've seen a good movie uh (laughs) i didn't mean that condescending jackson don't laugh at that i know you didn't mean it that way but it was very funny um and one question here was there anything in citizen kane that you wish modern cinema would do or pull inspiration from that it hasn't already uh my answer is being under two hours long (laughs) (laughs) yep this is a fairly long movie for the time. Yeah, hundred. Well, I mean, that's not true because there's lots of movies of this time that are inc- maybe not forty-one, but before, like there are plenty of three-hour movies eh, from antiquity. True. 
That's true. But Citizen Kane is a nice 119 minutes in and out. Uh, it tells a huge story that feels exhausting, but it doesn't take forever. And it feels exhausting in the good way where it's like, this is appropriate for the story being told. Uh, yeah. I, w- I was thinking for more like Daddy's 40s noir movies and not um, epics of the time. What would I? What kind of things would I like to see people bring? Back? Um, I mean, yeah, definitely the weird, like stylistic split screen type stuff. I would like more of that, um, in an intentional way. Ever uh, like big movies just look very flat now. That is the the cool look. Marvel movies have ruined everything for everyone. I uh, yeah. yeah no I agree I I definitely love me an interior epic where it's just like the rise and fall like let's make more movies like this let's make more movies like there will be blood <laughs> I really I could eat it up um have you have I you want to watch some prestige television with me destiny <laughs> sure always <laughs> they got you covered <laughs> <laughs> I guess you're right, but I like it in a movie. <laughs> uh, those are the questions. Yeah, those are the questions. So I guess we should announce next time. Uh, in two weeks, we will be coming back uh, with our second film, which is Morvern Caller, which is a Lynn Ramsey film uh, from 2002. It is British. Uh, Jackson, since it's British, where can you find it in your country? Uh, I have gone on to Just Watch and had a look at where you can find it, and it is on Amazon Prime. Destiny, where can we find it in the U.S.? Amazon Prime. Uh, as far as we could tell, it's only available there. They must have like a distribution deal, would be my guess, because you can't even rent it on like Google Play or anything. So that, that's surprising. It, it's actually it's on iTunes in the U.K. to buy as well. Okay, okay. Um, uh, so you can get a couple more places. Yeah, uh, but it's also on Amazon. Um, but it's not super well distributed, but you can get it for, uh, you know, three forty nine if you need to. Uh, okay. It does not require you to steal it. Uh, and that's it. Uh, Destiny, tell people where they can find you online. I am at FridgeBuzz now on Twitter.com. Jackson, plugs. At HeadfulsOff on Twitter is where you can find me. You can find other podcasts uh, that Em and I do at abnormalmapping.com, including Abnormal Mapping if you like video games. Um, there's a bunch of others there as well. Uh, but you can also support us on Patreon. Yeah, if you go to patreon.com slash normalmapping, you can uh, support us at a variety of tiers. The one most people choose is $1 a month, which gets you a bonus podcast called The Great Gundam Project, which me and Jackson record, put out once a week on Wednesdays, uh, watching all of Mobile Suit Gundam, the anime franchise, two episodes at a time. We are currently going through Victory Gundam, uh, and we're going to record that episode right after we finish this up. So uh, very excited for that. It'll probably be out tomorrow as of when this goes live. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at EM underscore being. Uh, you know where to send emails, podcastofnormalmapping.com. You can just at any of us for uh, talking about movies whenever. We have a Discord. Yeah. If you go to abnormalmapping.com, there's a link to the Discord. There's a movie channel in there. You can talk about movies. We always are talking about movies is what I'm saying. We all have letterboxed. <laughs> Oh shit! I need to I need to get that in order for everyone. Now that that's coming. Yeah, out. I haven't been updating mine. I need to update mine. Can I bulk remove all the reviews I made in 2012? Please, let you probably just have to make a new uh, thing. Unfortunately, hell. just make a new account. No, I'm just gonna. I'll keep it, but delete the really bad ones. I've deleted some of the really bad ones. Okay, uh, I will never delete the really bad ones. If you can track down my old movie blog, you can just see all the reviews I made. I, oh. Some of them are probably terrible. 
I loved your movie blog. I am biased, I know, but I still go back to your movie. Like, if I watch something, I will go and look up what you thought of it back in the day. (laughs) Read it. Go look. I was about to shout out a specific piece, but I won't. Go look at my movie blog. Yeah. Uh, That's it. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, You can find this at RevToyScreenings.com. Tell your friends. Leave reviews on iTunes. Whatever people do. Um... Definitely tell your friends because word of mouth is how we get all these shows out and about. Um, And thank you for listening. We'll be back in two weeks. 